Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 is where we are going to be today. We're taking a short break for the next two weeks from Jeremiah. And we're going to spend two weeks in the New Testament looking at the theme, Be Transformed. Be Transformed. As we move from summer into fall, we're going to talk a little bit about change. So this morning, I'm going to come from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Next week, Montrell is going to be preaching, and he's going to come from Ephesians chapter 2. So be sure to come next week for part 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Please follow along in your copy of the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, and the Apostle Paul says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, we ask that as we come into this passage this morning that you will indeed speak to us, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, open our hearts so that we might learn. I pray that we would come to know this morning what it means to be changed. God, I stand here as a man who has been changed and in need of continued change. We all need to keep changing. Nobody has yet arrived. And God, I pray that you will humble us this morning, everybody here, and know that we need to change and that you will show us Christ through whom we may change. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. 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 Have you ever heard any advertisements which claim, which claim things such as this. I lost 26 pounds in just 30 days. Let me just say it, 26 pounds <laughs> in 30 days. That's a lot of weight in 30 days. In two weeks, I dropped 40 pounds. Gained 16 pounds of pure muscle in just four weeks. Now, if any of you know anything about exercise or physique, one thing you know is that you don't see results like that during uh, uh, time frames like that. Do you? Like some of these things, it would take months, if not years, to put on 16 pounds of pure muscle or to lose 40 pounds of weight. But here's the thing. People know they want to change. They know that they need change. People want this change fast, and they want it without any work. And so marketers know this, and they come along with pills. And fellas, if you take this pill, you can have a six-pack abs and bulk right up in just 40 days. This is what we're looking for, isn't it? Change fast, 
and with little effort. And this isn't just with our bodies. This is the whole of our lives. We know that we need to change. Many of us want to change. But we want to change fast, instantaneously. And we want to change with little effort. And so marketers, they know this. And so they come, come along with these books and magazines and articles and videos. And you'll hear things like, you will change in 10 easy steps. Or, this book will change your life. Or, watch this video, you will never be the same. Look, you put a label like that on something you're trying to sell, and you're going to sell a lot of it. And then we wonder why we don't change. It's because we have no clue what change looks like. Listen, if our behaviors, thoughts, attitudes, and actions change about as quickly as, say, our physique, you know that it's going to take a long time and it's going to take a lot of work. We're going to talk about that this morning. I want to talk to you on this theme, be transformed. In particular, I'm looking at verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. First, let's explore why we are the way we are. I believe that all of us are looking for models, that we are people who find models to fit into, molds to fit into. Like, I don't think that there is such a thing as the purely autonomous human being who has learned from no one and is his own man and does his own thing, completely disconnected from community. No, we are wired as human beings to be in community and to learn from each other, to learn from the systems and the patterns of the communities that we come from, the present ages in which we find ourselves. And this is actually what uh, Paul addresses here as he is addressing this topic of change. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Everybody say world. World. What does he mean by world? Well, he certainly doesn't mean the physical earth, does he? Well, he's talking about something more than just the universe. World in the New Testament is a nickname for the schemes and the patterns and the organization of life apart from God. The Bible says that the world is under the control of Satan. Uh, the, the, the world is this organized way of thinking, uh, these expectations of morality, these organized patterns by which we live, and these things are ordered by Satan, according to the Scriptures. Now, if you're not a Christian, this might seem a little far-fetched, kind of crazy, but it kind of makes sense. Like, when we look at the world, like, we've had three shootings on this block this summer, all right? Is it possible that there is some overarching uh, enemy that is at work in the world which is uh, organizing this cycle of violence in which we find ourselves? The world is organized by pride, by domination over others, where the powerful trample the weak. Who's controlling all of that? 
You see, the world is a nickname for any kind of system which organizes itself apart from the God of the Bible. As a matter of fact, that word world could be translated this present age, which means if it's the year 60 AD or 1950 or 2018, you know, it's going to change. The world flips every two seconds, doesn't it? But whatever the present age is that you find yourself in, what he's saying is, is, is don't be conformed to this present age. Well, this is why things are the way that they are is because we are living in this system that is organized apart from God. The Bible's pretty simple. The Bible sees two models, essentially, that we, that we fit into. It's either, first, the model of the world or the model of God's will revealed through His Word. Now, if we are going to change, we need to grapple with this question of model. What model are we going after? What mold are we trying to fit into? And if we are going to be a people who are transformed by his word and therefore actually change for the good, what we realize is that we're going to need a whole lot more than any kind of strength that we can muster up. We are going to need, in a word, God's mercy. We're going to need his grace. So let's look at this passage and let's see how change happens. First, what we see is that change happens through seeing God's mercy. Change happens through seeing God's mercy. Look at verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Or in the NIV it reads, I appeal to you in view of God's mercy. I like that. Charles Dickens in his book, uh, The Christmas Carol, we got Scrooge in there. And Scrooge is this mean old man who needs to change, right? And what happens to Scrooge is one night, uh, uh, some angels come along, uh, some spirits come along, and they show him three different scenes, past, present, and future. And he sees these things, and based on what he sees, he changes. Paul believes in the Bible that what we see has the potential of changing us. We change in view of something. And so Paul then, as he's beginning to talk about Christian change, he says, in view of God's mercies. As you see what? As you see the mercies of God. Well, what are the mercies of God that he's referring to? Well, that would actually be Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11. The first half of Romans is straight up raw, unfiltered doctrine. And then at chapter 12, he turns and he talks all about Christian practice. What he's saying is this, is in chapters 1 through 11, all we got is the mercies of God. What we see in chapters 1 through 11 is the fact that we are sinners, totally depraved. What we see in chapters 1 through 11 is that we have a great Savior in Jesus Christ. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6.23. And then he starts singing these praises in Romans 8. There is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Judgment has been canceled because of Christ. What we see here is the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. The mercy of the Sovereign One. The Sovereign God who has, as he goes on in chapters 9, 10, 11, he's chosen you to be part of his family. Like always, listen, if we could summarize the doctrine in chapters 1 through 11 of Romans, we could summarize it under this phrase, the mercies of God. And I think that's what Paul's doing. He's saying, in light of all of these things, in view of the mercies of God, in view of all of these wonderful doctrines of grace, therefore, you notice uh, chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1, starts with a therefore. Based on these things, therefore, how might we now live? Let me just say this. Let me make this point really quick. We cannot separate our doctrine from our practice. We can't separate our doctrines, our theology, from our Christian action. And you got a lot of Christians today who try to do that. You got people who are like, you know, I'll, they can have the theology. I don't, you know, I'm not into reading theology books. That's not me. I'm not into the doctrine. I just want to live it. I want to, well, live what? Live what? <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't care for the doctrines of God, if you don't care for the theology, the, uh, the, the talk of who God, what are you living? Like you've got some kind of, it's probably a bad theology. You, even you can't separate your doctrine from your belief. We just got to be honest with that and get better doctrine and start studying some more theology. He spilled a lot of ink on Romans chapter 1 through 11 before he gave you a therefore. Doctrine matters. What you believe matters. You can't change. Think about, think about what you believe. What do you believe? You're having trouble in, in, in your marriage? Look at the mercies of God, Paul's saying. You're dealing with loneliness and depression and anxiety? Look at these doctrines of God's mercy. You're struggling to have the motivation to love others and to serve? Look at the doctrines of God's mercy. That's where Paul begins. Are you guys tracking with me? The mercies of God. We have here a reason to change. Christian transformation is not based on a cold command. But we, are, we have been given a reason to change. And that reason is the mercies of God. So what does it look like? Well, let's go on with the verses here. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To present your bodies. The point here is that the body actually matters. Like think of your physical body. All right, I'm not being metaphorical right now. Your body matters to God. 
And then someone asks, why does God want my body? I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm too weak or I don't have enough energy in me. I don't, I don't have enough in me to give to God. I'm not pretty enough for God. What, is it, what does he want with my body? Well, it's not that he needs something from your body. It's not that God wants to make you look like an all-star, all right? It's not that God wants you to dress your best and, and get your hair done and, and look like a million bucks. That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about looking glamorous and presenting yourself before God. What does he want our bodies for? Well, listen, God is redeeming not just our souls, but our bodies. We, Jesus Christ has died on the cross for us. He therefore has given us worth. We therefore don't create our own worth through dressing a certain way or looking as, and then presenting ourselves in some kind of valuable fashion before God. You Here I am, use me. No, 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 no. We have our worth from Jesus Christ, our older brother, who we are in. Why does he want our bodies? Well, it's because our bodies now belong to him. You see what I'm saying? We're Christ's. And he's, he's changing the whole of us. Listen, how did Adam fall? What did Adam do? How, what, what actually happened? When sin entered into the world. Well, let's, let's be real for a second. Adam used his hand to take a piece of fruit from Eve's hand, which she used to pull it from the tree. And then Adam, with his hand, took the fruit and he took a bite with his mouth. His teeth crunched into the fruit and he tasted it with his tongue. And he swallowed it and then all the insides kind of worked, Right? Listen, sin entered into the world through the body. Now, listen, Jesus Christ in redemption, what does he do? It's not the soul of Jesus that dies for us. It's not that Jesus just sits, sits in the temple somewhere and feet crossed and his hands like this and... And, uh, and he spiritually suffers, and his soul is crucified, and now our souls are redeemed. What does he do on the cross? They take a nail, and they shove it into his hand and into his feet, and his back is shredded, and he has a crown that's pressed into his skull. And his body hangs there beaten and bruised and dies. and he owns our bodies. God is redeeming us. We sin, yes, with our minds and with our heart, but we sin with our bodies as well. Jesus had a crown of thorns thrust into his head for the sins that my body has committed. He had nails shoved into his hands for the sins that my hands have committed. He was thirsty for the sins that my tongue has committed. You see what I'm saying? And so then, in, the, here's the therefore of God's mercy. In our transformation, what do we do? We offer our bodies to Him. We present our, our hands and say, God, these hands are yours. I don't want to use them in corrupt ways. These feet, I don't want them to take me to places I don't belong 
my sexuality, it's yours. I, I, I want to use my body, my muscles that you've been given, the breath that I have, the energy, I want to use it in such a way that is holy, pleasing to God. This, look, this isn't like crazy radical stuff. This isn't like, you know, live out in the desert and, and, and beat yourself and, and do weird things and, you know, die at 30 years old from uh, serving yourself to death. That's not what he's saying. He's, but, but rather, let's use our bodies, let's present them before God, let's consecrate our bodies in such a way that we use them in ways that are, are holy, pure, and pleasing to God. What is pleasing? Well, working a job, very pleasing to God. Making some good food, very pleasing to God. Doing all things for His glory, very pleasing. Using your words to encourage others, to not destroy others, very pleasing to God. And listen, friends, I get it. We are guilty of not pleasing God, aren't we? But we can't forget the mercies of God. We're not saved by these things. We're saved by His mercy, and then because of His mercy, we now get to do these things. We can now offer our bodies consecrated to Him and say, God, change me. I don't want to continue doing this. Change me. Change me. Let me use my body in such a way that is pleasing. And He goes on to say that this is our spiritual worship. He calls it living sacrifices. This is a, a form of worship as we do this. Consecration is worship to God. It's, it's dedicating something to God. It's giving something to God. Listen, in the Old Testament, worship was done through dead sacrifices that were made for God. We don't make sacrifices anymore. David, really quick, David Livingston, great missionary from the past, gave his life at a young age for Jesus Christ. Someone said to him, Boy, you've made such a sacrifice. He said, don't ever say that I've made any, any sacrifice. I've never made a sacrifice in my life. And how can we talk about making sacrifices when I consider the one who made the final sacrifice, and that's Jesus Christ on the cross for my sins. We don't make sacrifices. We just are a living sacrifice. Our whole life is a consecration to God. And this is what he calls our spiritual worship. All right. Verse 2, got to keep going here. Verse 2 goes deeper. Verse 2 presents now a different dimension, as it were. Uh, we're, we're moving from the, uh, the dimension of the body to the dimension of the mind and the soul. We're going inward in verse 2. We're seeing a deeper reality of how change actually happens. So in verse 2, he goes on and he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's assume that you were going to go to uh, Druid Hill Pool one day. You wake up in the morning, I'm going to go to the pool. And you look outside and you see lightning bolts and the sky is dark and the wind is kicking up and the rain is pelting on the ground and you see on Facebook an announcement from Parks and Rec saying all pools are closed today. Question, are you still going to the pool? No, why? 
It's because what you saw informed your beliefs, and what you now believe informs your behavior. What you saw informs your beliefs, and what you believe informs your behavior. You saw the signs, you saw the word, you believed it, and because you believed it, only a fool would walk out the door with his little ducky around his waist heading to the... Right? And the Bible says that if you hear the Word of God, you see it, and you go about ignoring it, you are a what? A fool. But the Christian is someone who sees, who believes, and who changes their behavior as a result. This is going back to our first point, that our belief informs our behavior. So for someone who says, oh, I believe, I just don't do it. No, you don't believe. That dude walking out with a little ducky around his waist, heading to the he doesn't believe. He thinks the pool's going to be open. See what the problem is? Oh, I believe, I believe what the Bible says about this certain sin, but I just don't do it. Friend, you don't believe it. Let's give belief a little more credibility than that. we got to ask ourselves, what do we believe? What do we really believe? Well, how do we believe? What does this process of transformation look like over the Christian's life of change? Well, it, it, it looks like changing our beliefs, renewing what we believe. Renewing, he says, as he calls it, the mind. Now, there's first a negative, then a positive. The first, the negative, do not be conformed to the world. The positive, be transformed. Now, notice the different words that the apostle uses there. Conformed to the world and transformed. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. The word conformed in the scriptures is defined as one who changes who they are in order to fit another's pattern. Changing who you are in order to fit another's pattern. Transformed is defined, could be defined as changing into something else entirely from the inside out. It's actually the same word that was used of Jesus' transfiguration when he was transformed, when he was transfigured before his disciples. Glory upon glory, brilliance, absolute beauty that just overwhelmed him. And they saw the beauty of Christ that day. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. What Paul is saying is, is that the models matter. What, what you're trying to become, the mold that you're trying to fit into, we've got to recognize this, and that actually matters. Think of a freshman in high school, a new freshman, young girl going into ninth grade for the first day. First day of ninth grade, she looks like a normal little girl, doesn't she? And then you give her like three or four months, and all of a sudden she's different. She's wanting to get different clothes. She's got new dietary restrictions. She's taught using new words. What happens? Well, young, 
boys and girls going into their freshman year of high school, get a new crowd, and what do they do? They adopt into a new model. They, they fit into a new mold that they've been presented. Well, when this happens, this is very normal, and that's okay at some level. Like I said, we are shaped by the community around us. However, when this happens in a way that conflicts with the Word of God, you tracking with me? Like when we start asking the question, what is morality? What is truth? Who is God? Who am I? And we start allowing the models and the systems and the patterns of the world to answer those questions for us. What's happening is that we are being conformed to the world. Paul is essentially saying, stop trying to squeeze into the models that the world gives you. Stop taking cues from the world. Stop looking to Hollywood and asking Hollywood, what is the meaning of life? Stop looking to the media and asking the media, where is hope? Stop looking to the scholars and the activists and, and, and asking them, what is morality? Listen, if, as soon as we begin looking out there to determine what we believe in here, we have conformed to the world. Is anybody with me? As, as soon as uh, we, we start asking questions, is, is this acceptable? We've conformed to the world. As soon as we start looking at some of the doctrines, some of the truths of Scripture, and we say, well, yeah, I get it here. I, I, I believe it. I see what the Bible's saying, but that's not the way it works out here. And because it seems to work out here, I'm going to believe that it's fine, even though it conflicts with what's in here. Friends, we've just conformed to the world. I heard a pastor say once, I don't talk about sin anymore, he said. Because the man on the street doesn't even understand what sin means. Friend, since when have we let the man on the street determine what we preach? <laughs> I mean, if we let the man on the street determine what we preach, what are we going to preach? As soon as we start looking for the patterns of the world and trying to stay hip with society, whatever's cool. Listen, first of all, you're going to be as, as crazed as society because society changes their mind about what's acceptable every two minutes. Just read the old psychology books. What was acceptable back then is not acceptable anymore. And if Christians are just aligned with society, which, by the way, Christians are often guilty of this, for on the right or the left, conservative or liberal, doesn't matter. We're often guilty of aligning with whatever's popular in the world and putting our eggs into that basket. And then that basket proves terrible. Thank you. Couldn't think of a word. <laughs> and then what do we do? Uh, we... Man, boy, I'm embarrassed by my beliefs 10 years ago. That's because you were aligned with the world, not with the Word. Family, listen, the Word of God never changes. And I can read theologians from 200 years ago who, during, like, slave days, all right, white theologians who believed the Word and condemned slavery. They weren't won over by the world. You see what I'm saying? Like, if we line ourselves up with the Word, the world is going to never fool us. Are you tracking? Somebody's tracking with me. 
I lost my place. Instead of conforming to the world then, what do we do? We, we become transformed. How? By the renewal of the mind. This is pretty simple, the renewal of the mind. Well, first, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the work of regeneration. We don't have a mind that can believe at all without the Holy Spirit waking us up and giving us a mind that desires the will of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, listen, sanctification is a process. At, at our regeneration, we're not just like, boom, made perfect, are we? It's a process of becoming holy. So with this sort of spirit-led, spirit-empowered help, we actively renew our minds. Like in the same kind of work that it takes to, you know, change your physique, it's going to take some work to study the Word of God. The Bible doesn't say when you become a Christian, you get the Word of God implanted in your head. The Bible says for Christians to what? Study to show yourself approved. Study the Word of God. Also, the Bible says to be in His community. Do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. Why? Because they have drifted. Listen, we are shaped by communities. And one of the gifts that God has given his people is the community of saints. And I am very concerned for people who consider themselves Christians and they are not actively a part of a community of saints. It's I'm not saying they're not Christians, but it's concerning. Because God has given us the church to be shaped by this grace-shaped community. Are you tracking with me? And if you haven't been part of a church, you're here today. Welcome. <laughs> Please journey with us. What are the elements of change? Number one, know God's word. Number two, as we know his word, a miracle happens and we begin to desire his will. Have you ever experienced this before? Someone might say, man, I used to get drunk. I used to get wasted, go to the clubs. I don't even desire that anymore. Like, I just find myself going to bed at like 9.30, watching some Netflix and going to sleep. I don't desire that. Like, praise God that he changed your desires. Right? Amen. Well, it depends what you're watching on Netflix, I guess. But. Or I've heard people say, I used to desire pornography. And I don't desire that anymore. There's still an alluring element to it, but it's not, it doesn't have a strong desire on my life like it used to. And I can only attribute that to the grace of God in Jesus Christ as I've become to, re, as I've renewed my mind, as he, by his help, as he's renewed my mind, I see things differently and I have new desires. We desire his will. We come to know what is good and right and acceptable and perfect. But there's more. Most everything, not everything, but most everything I've just talked about, a Pharisee would agree with. A lot of what I've just talked about, a Pharisee would, ag would agree with. I want to close with a couple points that a Pharisee would not agree with, at least a Pharisee of Jesus' day. Pharisees today, you're kind of a whole different breed. We've got to talk about some different things, all right? Because you're going to confess Jesus with your lips, all right? But Pharisees of his day would not agree with these two points. 
First, as we close, change comes from looking at Jesus. Change comes from looking at Jesus. Now, I get this here from this text, but I'm also drawing from some of Paul's other work in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. If you want to turn there as we close. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It reads this. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Everybody say transformed. Transformed. That's the same word used here for the transfiguration. It's the same word used here in Romans chapter 12. As we, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, who is Jesus, We are being transformed into what? The same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Change results from looking at Jesus and change, I'm sorry, it comes from looking at Jesus and change results in looking like Jesus. He says that we are transfigured, we're transformed. Not all at once as Jesus was on the mount, but for us it says little by little, little by little. We're transformed in his his own words from one degree of glory to the next. And then from that degree of glory to the next. We're changed over by time, little by little, from one degree of glory to the next. This doesn't come from me. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And how do we get this change? Well, he, he said it right there at the beginning of the verse. That us, with unveiled face, meaning we're not blinded by sin, we behold the glory of God. The Lord. Listen, how do people change? We don't change through a list of do's and don'ts. We don't change even by some preacher screaming at you to change. That has never changed anybody. We don't change through guilt trips, even though we love to use them when we're angry with our loved ones. We change through beholding the glory of the Lord. Meaning, it's the job of the preacher to preach Jesus. It's the job of the church to display Jesus. As we read the scriptures, we see Jesus. And the more we know about Jesus, and the more we gaze upon Jesus, we change. Do you know the mercies of God? Do you see Jesus hanging on the cross for you? Have you gazed upon the goodness of the Lord 
our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the world. Who is Jesus? He is our standard of righteousness. He is the definition of perfection. He is the showcase of beauty. He is the wonder of the angels. He's the song of the prophets. He's the king of eternity. And he is the image of God. He is the model that we've been given to follow, but not just to follow, we're in him. We're in him. We're in Christ, who is all of these things. How do we change? We change through gazing upon him, through thinking about him, through singing about him, through delighting in him. Is Jesus enough for you? That is my question for you, my family, this morning. Is Christ enough for you? Come and behold him. Come and see him. Come and believe him. What power he has to change somebody like you. What power he has to change somebody like me. These are the mercies of God. As we view the mercies of God, let us change. Amen? Father, we thank you for this word from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, preserved for us today, speaking with the same power and authority that it did then. God, we ask that we would behold Jesus Christ, that we would see these mercies, that we would not quickly pass over doctrine and theology that we would get to know the personality of who you are, who Christ is, who is the Holy Spirit, who we are, and that we would see your mercy, and from that place, God, that we would, through gazing on Jesus, change. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.